Okay. So first of all, thanks so much for, for doing this. I'm happy to to finally be speaking at one of the, the Sunset series. You guys are doing such interesting sessions. Um, I've always heard about them from other people, both inside and outside, actually, of the Olim community. So very happy to be here. Wish it was under better circumstances. <laughs> but today I'm going to speak a little bit about the situation on social media that we're seeing and also um, provide some some insights or, I guess, tips about when you maybe should or maybe should not engage on social media and how to how to go about that. Um, and then I, I don't want to normally like when I do lectures, especially about social media, I go into a lot of detail and it's about, you know, 45 minutes and we don't have a lot of time for questions because of the situation. I'm not doing this. Um, I really want to hear um, your feedback, your questions, your comments about your experiences um, after after I explain a little bit about what what I see going on, because uh, I think it will be helpful actually for both sides with the situation that's new, that's developing and that's changing every day. So just to kick things off a little bit about my background, um, I have been working in this field of some sort of digital activism for uh, about about oh, 12 years now, oh, I feel old, um, <laughs> a while, over a decade. And um, I, I got my start by tracking anti-Semitism. That was what I initially started with. And it sort of expanded to other areas as well, because, um, you know, as a writer, I cover a lot of different issues, a lot of different human rights issues as well. So that sort of expanded from there. Now, generally speaking on social media, um, it is primary, when it comes to hate speech, the three groups that are targeted the most are Jews, I know that's shocking to you guys, <laughs> Jews, uh, LGBTQ, and women, actually. Those are the three groups that have the most uh, vehement hatred that's seemingly irrational across social media platforms. Um, now, that being said, all of the hate speech that we see against all three of these categories of people um, is technically against community standards. But as we know, that doesn't always mean anything when it comes to to implementation. Um, right now, what we're seeing is obviously a huge surge in anti-Semitism. And part of what we're seeing in person face to face is the byproduct of social media and the refusal of social media platforms to deal with anti-Semitism on their platforms for year after year after year. And while I do think there's been some progress made in some ways, it's constantly a moving target because they're coming out with new technologies, they're coming out with new features that they don't always know how to manage or how they can be taken advantage of or how they can be abused. I'll give you an example that until today is actually doing pretty, pretty well, community notes on Twitter, or I guess now it's X. So I don't know if any of you guys have seen this. This is a way that people who are on the platform can sort of check the claims of any user at any time. Um, and anyone can sign up to be in community notes, but you have to review a lot of content uh, before you're approved to write community notes. So it takes a little bit of time, um, but any it is open to anyone. So I do recommend that you do that. And then you can leave a comment with sources about why someone's tweet might be out of context or misleading. Ooh. So you can comment and and sort of hold people accountable for this. And we saw this just a few weeks ago, um, Rashida Tlaib. Uh, tweeted that Israel had bombed a hospital and killed 500 people. This was within minutes of the um, of the attack on the hospital. And it turns out that according to all of the evidence that we've seen, 
um, that has been released subsequently, including from other uh, countries, both France and the United States, confirmed that more than likely it wasn't Israel. They weren't involved in any way whatsoever. It was Islamic Jihad who fired the rockets. Uh, despite that, Rashida Tlaib has left this tweet up. And even until now, I saw earlier today that she still had this up. But people did respond with a community note. So you cannot, you can no longer see her tweet with the false information without also seeing that what she's claiming is false. So this is an important tool. At the same time, if you think about it, everything on social media is a numbers game. And we are outnumbered when it comes to Israel very, very heavily, which is why you see such a distortion on social media of what the reality actually is. I mean, if we're speaking about polling, strictly polling, most people support Israel, world leaders for sure. But most people support Israel with the exception of perhaps the Arab world, uh, especially in the Western world. There's a lot of people who don't really care, but if asked, they'll they'll tend to side with Israel, which is a good thing. And we need to continue to, to work to keep that up. At the same time, that's not the impression you would get from what you see on social media. What's happening right now in, in the conversation and the level of the conversation across all platforms, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of them, um, even some on LinkedIn, I saw, <laughs> I'm getting some hate on LinkedIn. Um, all of this is uh, is something much more much more extreme than what you would see in, in person, in day-to-day -day life. And so it leaves you with kind of this false impression that everyone hates us and everyone is against us. And I just want to, um, I guess, encourage you guys to take the information that you see, the an even anti-Semitic information that you see on social media, replies that you're getting, harassment you might be getting in direct messages, take it with a grain of salt. Um, not that it's not a problem, but it also isn't reflective of the vast majority of the world. A lot of people do stand with us. A lot of people are standing with us. You know, there have been massive protests in uh in france also there's one they're planning in dc i know people who are coming all the way from canada just to go to the the protest against um anti-semitism in washington dc so we're not there we have a lot of work to do but don't be discouraged by what you see online um and the the thing i think is important to remember when it comes to engaging on social media is that you need to be wise about how you engage first of all when it comes to security, especially during times of war, a lot of people get hacked. Um, a lot of people will get harassed or their account, sometimes business, you know, their place of business will be bombarded with comments or bad reviews. These types of things have happened. It shouldn't discourage you from engaging in conversations on the internet, but you should be smart about it. If you work at a place that doesn't agree with your views, for example, then you should not be posting things on LinkedIn. <laughs> And if you work with somewhere that doesn't want you to be political, then you maybe want to consider using an account like on Twitter, for example, that doesn't use your name or face. So you need to be mindful of the limitations that exist within your real life when you're interacting online. But it is worth interacting online. And it's important that we show up because if we disengage from social media, then the entire starting point of the conversation when it comes to Israel skews to more and more extreme. And I know this because this is the trend that I've seen over the last 12 years. You know, we see a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't I don't want to get involved in that. I don't want to engage in conversations about Israel or anti-Semitism online. I'm just uh, whatever, work in a different field. That's not their thing. They're not political. That is fine. Everyone is entitled to do what they want to do. 
but the less people who engage and even I mean, engage even liking a post, okay, or leaving a positive comment or saying, yes, I agree, or adding something to a story. These small actions on social media seem very irrelevant, like they're not really important, and they don't actually make a difference. But because social media is a quantitative platform, not, uh, not, not qualitative, you write a long, detailed response, chances are people aren't going to be that engaged with it. But you say a one liner that's funny, and people will it can go viral. And that's the unfortunate reality of what we deal with today on social media. And for that reason, it's important to engage even on a small scale. If you can do more, great, do more. Make videos, write articles, share share as much content as you can in, in your own voice. But even if you're not someone who's a creator, it is important to interact with, with other content that you think is, is putting out the right messages or is combating disinformation. Now, when it comes to engaging with people who maybe don't agree with you, uh, so let's say, for example, and this is a hypothetical, I'm not referring to any specific article, but let's say the New York Times posts an article um, on their Twitter about something that happened in Gaza, and it includes uh, incorrect or partial information that let's say, uh, I'll, I'll make up an example that's relevant to what we're going through now. Uh, so New York Times writes an article about um, the number of children who are killed in Gaza. And they say, oh, Israel is committing atrocities because all these Palestinian children are dying. Something uh, that's worthwhile to respond to uh, would be, you know, questioning the fact that the we, we actually don't know. It may be true, unfortunately, uh, but we don't know yet because those that information is coming from Hamas because it's Hamas who controls the Gaza Ministry of Health. So there should at least be a caveat in those numbers from the New York Times explaining that. That's what good journalism actually looks like. Um, so this is something that's worth engaging in and calling them out on social media, on Twitter, in response to the articles or the content that they are putting out and that they are claiming. Why? Not because you're going to change the mind of the New York Times or the author of the article or any of those things. You're probably not going to change many people's minds. Uh, I was going to say it's worthwhile engaging in that because a lot of other people who aren't convinced are looking at the New York Times. And that's who your target audience is on social media. And that's why it's worth engaging with accounts that many people will see. Sometimes it will be an influencer. So it is worth engaging as much as as much as possible, even if it's a small scale thing. And by the way, something else that's important to remember when it comes to Instagram, Twitter, Face and and also TikTok, actually all the platforms, uh, liking comments is actually or responding to them as well is actually also really important because if you see a comment that has more likes than others, that is what by default you can change it manually, but by default that is what displays to other people when you when people share the post. So it's important to interact with that content even if you're not the one saying it in your voice. Um, just circling back to the first point I made, which is about security. And when it comes to hacking and being smart about how you put yourself out there on social media, this is something that's not unique to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's just a little bit more intense when it comes to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and also the issues of anti-Semitism. Um, and the best thing that you can do in order to avoid any kind of problems with this is um, putting two-step two, uh, two verification on all of your accounts. So you can use it with like Google Authenticator or you can have a code sent to your phone. 
but all social media platforms provide this. Also for your email, I highly, highly, highly recommend because it's very easy to hack into accounts, even if you have a good password, if you don't have a second verification step. Even if you do it temporarily right now, uh, I do think it's important and I would uh, advise strongly that you set that up because it's important uh, for, for protecting your accounts. The other thing that we're dealing with, and then I'll go to questions, is that a lot of people have had content uh, deleted or removed. We're also dealing with issues on Instagram in particular where um, content that is graphic, they're suspending the user who posts it. Um, <laughs> I see someone saying, I was suspended because uh, it violates their terms. So different platforms have different standards for this. I would say Instagram is probably one of the loosest, but their implementation of their policy is not uniform. Um, it's very, very selective. And there've been a lot of problems with this. From my connections with Meta, um, they're aware, they're very aware of this problem. Um, and they're trying to identify ways to determine what the sentiment of the poster is. So for example, if a Hamas person posts a, a clip of them murdering a, an Israeli civilian, that's going to get removed and their account is going to be suspended. But if you or I share part of that video or something that's partially censored, but it's still graphic um, and we're condemning it or trying to educate about what the situation is, then that content wouldn't be removed. So that's the goal that they're working on now. I don't know on the technical side, I'm not, that's not my area of expertise. So I can't say how simple or complex that is, uh, but they are aware of it. Uh, and they do know that a lot of people have been suspended or had their accounts uh, removed, even in some cases, as a result of this. By the way, uh, this is a similar thing that I also experienced with the Iranian issue. My account was actually removed, and it turned out a few weeks later that uh, the Iranian regime had been paying content moderators to remove or suspend, like, ad strikes for content violations on specific people's account. Now, I don't know if mine was one of them, I assume because I didn't do anything offensive, um, but this is a problem uh, that they have. It's a known problem. And the best thing that we can do is keep keep fighting. You know, If you do get suspended, uh, work with other pro-Israel activists. You can message me, you can message other people or join WhatsApp groups. Um, usually there are people who have connections to Facebook like me who will do our best to help you. Um, it's very, it's not a great like resolution system when things like this happen for any of the platforms, I'll be honest, uh, but we can help. In most cases, we can help. Um, and, and also, frankly, it helps them be aware of how prevalent the problem is. You know, if, if they, if I speak to someone I know at Facebook and I say, I have like 75 people who have had content removed in the last week when they are condemning terrorism, what is going on? then they realize it's a much more pressing issue than one or two uh, incidents. So it, it is something you should uh, speak about, speak to other people, even publish about on other platforms uh, because it shouldn't be happening. Um, and the same goes for, for Twitter or other platforms, although it seems to be that Instagram is the worst uh, right now. Instagram and TikTok are the worst when it comes to that. I will say uh, with a caveat, I said, you're welcome to message me if you encounter problems with this, but not TikTok. I can't help you with TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> because they do it to me all the time. And, and I'm this 
platform in general is extremely problematic, both in terms of the algorithm and what content it serves people. It pushes people to more and more extremes more and more quickly. They know this. They've done nothing about it. Their uh, implementation of community standards is illogical. They're removing content all the time that isn't offensive and leaving up content that is offensive based on who the users are or what the opinions are. It's very problematic and there doesn't they don't seem to have a hold on what the actual policies are that they're enforcing. They have things that are written, but that's not what we're seeing in practice. So that is an, an ongoing challenge. Um, I will stop here because I want to hear your questions and your comments, anything else you uh, would like to talk about. Excellent. Thank you, Emily. We are thankful that you joined us, Emily. And I love that you really dove into the um, into the ins and outs of what we're experiencing on social media, because I think a lot of people are kind of just thrown out into the forest on it, you know, to fend for themselves. And uh, it's not something that's that most of us in our age category have been have learned in school. So uh, I would like to now open the floor to questions. For the most, I, I really would like for everyone to put their questions in the chat because I think that that's the best way for us to get through the questions. I see Lena is really eager to ask a question. So I'm gonna let her ask the question directly. Go ahead, Lena. Thank you. I want to add something. I have, uh, I. Uh, my partner that is my partner from Italy that is helping me with Asbara, she didn't know about this engagement in 2005. Can we keep repeating this? Because people don't know, even now, neutral and normal people. This is one thing. Second thing, can we realize that people that we are talking with, they are not interested. Pro-Palestinians who are now pro-Hamas, pro not interested in conversation. They just... Uh, they're just talking about their points. We can talk about our points. We don't have to be reactive all the time. We don't have to react to what they say. We can say all the time. For example, what Emily said about uh, the hospital and the number of uh, people dead and children dead in the hospital, we should keep repeating that uh, uh, Hamas, Hamas did it because people don't re don't remember. We should all of us say that it's because of Hamas because Hamas is hiding. We should keep repeating those things. And also, should we maybe call them out about them being... Uh, toxic and manipulative because for example they say occupation they never specify what they mean they keep things vague and uh, complex on purpose so we should ask what occupation are you talking about and if you keep being abstract and not specific that makes you toxic and uh, manipulative that's what we should do as a question okay <laughs> I love Thank that you. as a question. I'll just respond really briefly. First of all, I agree with you. <laughs> um, I think you you touched on something that's actually really important, which is that repetition is super, super important. It's important in all messaging everywhere for all of human history. It's also important online. It's annoying because you need to repeat the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, but But that is correct. Most people don't know the basic facts about what the situation is in Israel. So you do have to dumb it down, don't get too complex, but continue to repeat the correct information um, over and over and over again as much as you can. That's really the only uh, the only way that we can keep uh, making progress on the, the issue online. When it comes to um, calling people out, I mean, of course, yeah, of course, if it's relevant, but my only caution would be that uh, prioritize because unfortunately there's a lot of toxic people online 
Um, and it's, it's important, like, don't, you don't want to waste your time calling everyone, you know, toxic, but at the same time, when it's someone who has a lot of influence, it's worth discussing that. Absolutely. It's worth discussing that even on your own account sometimes, not just responding to them. So these people do need to be called out. And I'll give you an example. I don't think that she's like a terrible Israel hater generally, but she was wrong on this issue. And that is Angelina Jolie. Um, and I think that she got a lot of criticism for it, on especially on social media, and she deserves it. And I think that that's a justified response to the things that we're seeing. And it's worth speaking about because she has such tremendous influence, uh, even I would say even more so than some of the other celebrities because of her work in the field of, of human rights activism. So, yeah, definitely we should be we should be calling people out if and when relevant. Uh, but not every single person, not the stranger who's running the free Palestine Twitter account. Like that's probably not a good use of your time uh, to point out that that person is lying about about Israel. Uh, anyone else? Yes, I'm going to go through all of the questions. So we have a question from Elia. Lots of people online don't want to have productive conversations and just diverge to violence. Do you think it is worth engaging with these people? As a student with a diverse following, every time I post something pro-Israel, I get a lot of people swiping up on my stories who have zero knowledge of the conflict. Um, so it depends. There is no right or wrong answer. It really depends on who you're talking to and what their audience is. And that's something you have to evaluate on the basis of what your priorities are and how you want to position yourself as a professional in whatever field you're in. And also your proximity to that person. Is it someone you know in real life? Is it someone who has mutual friends who are viewing the interaction that you're having with that person? Is it a conversation that would be better in, in person if you do know that person? So there's a lot of factors to consider. There's no right or wrong answer as to whether or not you should engage with people who disagree with you on this issue and are flat out wrong, <laughs> even if you know them in person. Um, it, I, I do think my general comment is that it's, it's worth it when you're not sure it's worth engaging that I err on the side of, of engaging with someone. Now, at the same time, you don't want to devolve into cursing and name calling or, or anything that actually damages the cause. You want to provide sources as much as possible, provide clear, concise answers so that other people can follow if, and when relevant. Um, but, but you should as much as possible, you, you should engage. We have a question from Jordan. He wants to know, what can you offer in the way of encouragement for those of us who have lost hope in the idea of social media being a legitimate medium for engaging in fact-based debate? Um, so first of all, I don't know that I would, I would need to think about it before I would uh, argue that social media is a legitimate medium for fact-based debate. That being said, it still has a tremendous impact on the culture. It has a tremendous impact on the culture in Israel, in Europe, in the United States, even more so in the Arab world. It's a way to transmit information instantly anywhere in the world that can be seen by anyone. Um, that's never existed before, even in, in media, like before, before social media, not everyone had a voice this way. Um, and a lot of people don't understand the responsibilities of that power. Uh, but at the same time, we can't, we can't give up. <laughs> 
Because like I said, if we give up, then we're just allowing the entire conversation in the online space to be amongst people with inaccurate information, or in some cases, they're lying about what's happening without any response. And you know, you might not win a debate about a certain topic. There might be 300 people who are claiming things that we know are false, but you still know that a lot of eyeballs that are unconvinced are gonna be on that content. It's still worth engaging, even if everyone disagrees with you. Why? Because a lot of people who see that content at least see that this is disputed, that it isn't taken as fact that 11,000 children are dead or whatever number they're claiming today. Now, of course, that I don't mean to be dismissive because it's very sad that there are innocent people who are dying. But at the same time, it's true that we shouldn't be taking those numbers as verified fact at this point. We shouldn't. So it's worth engaging because people need to see that information, even if they disagree, even if they say uh, it's fake. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they say because it's the other people who see that who need to understand that there's another side of the story here that's being told at the very least at the very least, because otherwise all they're going to see is 11,000 Palestinian babies have been killed. Now, if you see that for four or five years, even here or there, sporadically as things pop up in the news about Israel, and you never ever see anyone you know, anyone famous, anyone on posts, on, on pages that you follow, you don't see anyone ever responding to that. You're not exposed to that information. Um, and, and you're going to walk away with a skewed perspective of what Israel really is, for, for better or for worse. So this is the problem of choosing not to engage on social media. And despite the fact that, that I don't think it's the best place for fact-based debate, it still is worth trying. It still is worth commenting. It still is worth responding to things and interacting with people. And by the way, I forgot to add before, that when it comes to interaction with someone you actually know in person online, it's always better to recommend sitting for a coffee or catching up on a phone call or something like that that isn't online when it's someone you know personally, because things can spiral out of control on social media. People feel a degree of freedom in how they speak to others on social media because they're behind a screen. This is has been proven in studies. So we know that people are going to be more racist, more aggressive, more angry, especially angry on social media. That's not usually the best recipe for a good fact-based debate. <laughs> So especially when it's someone you interact with in your personal life, in your real life, um, it, it's best to try to do it in person. Excellent. Uh, that's that's great. I want to say that, Daniel, I see your question. I actually want to save your question for the end. Uh, we have a question by Tiffany. <laughs> Thank you for being with us, Emily. Quick question. What would be your top three critical points we can talk about or post as a reply when engaging online to educate, especially the ones who are radical in being a voice against Israel with terms or concepts like genocide, occupation, Hamas are freedom fighters. Okay. So the problem of language is very big on social media. Uh, and what do I mean by language? I mean, the terms that you mentioned, genocide, occupation. And, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with occupation in and of itself. And occupation actually the term itself, a occupation, is not illegal. That's also important to know, to, to be aware of. Whether you're for it or not, whatever, doesn't matter. It's not illegal. 
uh, under international law. Uh, a lot of people say this because they've heard it and it's just not true. <laughs> um, but when it comes to this terminology, uh, it's it's inflammatory. It's inflammatory. And, and the problem with it is that it's very irresponsible to be speaking this way um, because they're not accurate. Also apartheid. They're, they're not accurate reflections of real problems that Israel has. Israel has racism. Of course they do. Every country has racism and Israel has an incredibly complex situation, but it is not an apartheid state. And so to minimize the actual complexity of the problems in Israel by using this loaded terminology like genocide and, and apartheid and ethnic cleansing, for example, it does a disservice to both sides. It inflames tensions. It makes both sides more angry and more upset. And the people in the middle are seeing a twisted, dramatized version of what's actually happening. And the problem is that because this type of language has been used to describe this conflict, especially in the Western world so much, you see it, A, gaining more popularity, but you also see people who don't really know anything about the issue passionately involved and upset about what's happening without any clue what genocide or ethnic cleansing or apartheid actually mean. And the people who are using this, who are who are spearheading the effort to use such loaded terminology are usually people that do have a somewhat sinister intense when it comes to, to Israel. I mean, we see it, we saw it uh, in Shomer Chomot, the last operation from Rashida Talib on the House floor in the United States, where she was talking about how Israel is apartheid and Israel is committing genocide. No, they aren't. Does that mean everything that Israel is doing in Gaza is right? Maybe, maybe not. But it isn't a genocide. Population is consistently increasing year after year. That's not genocide. That's not what's happening, not to mention the fact that civilians are never the target. So it's important to push back against this terminology and to point it out when people use this, that A, it's not true, and you can provide you know, the definition. But in addition to that, and more importantly, if we're going to move forward some way, if we're going to have peace, whether it's in a conversation online or actually on the ground between Israelis and Palestinians, you're not going to get any further with this loaded terminology that pits one side against the other. That's not the way forward. It's never going to be. We can't solve things if we're constantly trying to undermine uh, the other side in a way that's not accurate, and not fair. Now, when it is accurate, it should be it should be called out. You, you wouldn't want to have this conversation with someone who says, well, such and such incident in Israel was racist. It may have been. And, and sometimes it's worth condemning. But to say that Israel is apartheid, this is something else entirely. And some people you'll convince with that and some people you won't. But the fact of the matter is that's what's an accurate representation of what's happening on the ground. And nobody, nobody benefits when tensions are spiraling out of control. And by the way, this also goes for our side. You see when things are very, very heated in this conflict, you also see more racist speech against uh, against Palestinians. Now, it's not the same as what we see, unfortunately, in the Palestinian society. Uh, but there is a problem. You know, there are people who are saying, oh, I don't care. We should kill them all, for example. This is not okay. This is not acceptable. Uh, so we need to be be responsible as much as we can online um, and, and not be afraid to call people out for the irresponsible use of language. Now, when it comes to the sorry, that was like a really long answer for your question. What would be the top three uh, critical points? Mm, oh, that's hard because there's so many. And also they change based on what's happening in this conflict. I think uh, I think the first thing 
that that people misunderstand that changes how they view the entire situation right now is that this isn't a war against Palestinians. And this isn't a war about, it isn't the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, okay? This is a war against a terrorist organization. It's not about who gets what land. It's not who gets what right, you know, what rights. It's not how they should have a one state or two state or 25 states. That's not the discussion. The discussion and the reason that we have a war today is because a terrorist organization with the funding and training of the Islamic Republic of Iran raided Israeli civilian communities and murdered and kidnapped people. That's what's going on. That's who our target is. It's Hamas, no one else. And it's unfortunate that there are civilian casualties because of Hamas, which I think is probably the second thing that's important to note. So the first is um, is that this isn't a war against Palestinians, it's against Hamas. And the second uh, is that when it comes to the actual conflict and what we're seeing on the ground in Gaza, that the Palestinian people are not the targets. Uh, and unfortunately, no matter how much people don't want to say it or roll their eyes or whatever, it's a reality that Hamas is using the people of Gaza. There is nothing, and, and I wouldn't necessarily say this about previous conflicts, but this one, to be pro-Palestinian right now is to be pro-Israel. There's no such thing as being pro-Palestinian and being in favor of Hamas staying in control. That that's not That's not a thing. And so I think people depending on how they phrase things, people need to be gently nudged about this issue, that there isn't anything pro-Palestinian about claiming, no, we should have a ceasefire now. If we have a ceasefire now, then Hamas will be able to maintain control over millions of people who they've ruled over with a, a, an iron fist for you know 15 plus years uh, since Israel withdrew. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I don't think, for, even from a purely human rights perspective, and not even looking at who that society is, it's not something I would think is acceptable. It's a necessary thing that we have to do. And uh, it's unfortunate. So that's the second thing. Um, in terms of the third, I'll, I'll think about it and get back to you. I can't think of a third one right now. But that is a that those are two of the most important that are specific to this uh, war. Excellent. Thank you for get, giving us some of the meat. And also, I, I think that what comes with knowing the facts and hearing from you is confidence. And I think that I'll, uh, what a lot of people are experiencing online is maybe they want to they want to write something and they feel a lack of confidence about it. Maybe they're not 100 percent sure or they're not aligned with the message or they you know, there's there's fear. So I think that it's important that you, you know, hit on some of these factual things. We have a question from Yuri from Uri. He wants to know, um, should we respond to false statements on social media if we know that it could increase the number of of show ups of these? You know, should we highlight misinformation and just give it more of a platform? Uh, this is actually a really good and important question. Uh, usually what I do is I will screenshot, depending on the situation. So there are some situations in which I know a lot of people who are pro-Israel, like that follow me, for example, I know that they'll respond if I respond to the actual post. So like I did this on Twitter with Rashida Tlaib because I knew other people would then go and respond to her on the tweet. Normally, what I recommend is screenshotting the tweet, post, wherever it is. Uh, and then sharing it, um, not necessarily as a new post, uh, but maybe on a story or as a tweet and, and tagging that individual and calling them out and responding to what the lie is. Now, if it's broad, like BBC, who refuses to call Hamas terrorists, 
um, then I don't think there's, I think there's less risk in sharing a specific piece of content. Uh, but I also think it's more important that you address those kinds of claims. Like when it's something that's repeatedly being presented or repeatedly being misrepresented uh, on a specific media channel or from a specific person, then it's it's worth engaging and it's worth uh, calling them out because you know that they're going to do it anyway. And like I said before, that it's also important that people people who follow, for example, Rashida Tlaib, um, people who follow her will see that, that, wow, there's a lot of controversy over this claim. Like when she tried to claim that from the river to the sea is a call for coexistence. <laughs> she got ratioed on that one. <laughs> How this question comes from Jordan. How do you respond to the claim that a person can be anti-Zionist without being anti-Semitic? Um, I always ask them to provide an example of what they're talking about, because usually they don't know what Zionism is. Um, in truth, until today, I haven't heard any answer for someone who is anti-Zionist and not anti-Semitic, with the exception of an individual who doesn't believe in the rights, in you know national rights or the right to self-determination for any person, for any group of people. If you are an anarchist, I accept that you can be anti-Zionist and not be anti-Semitic. If you are not an anarchist, no. <laughs> it is always anti-Semitism because what you're saying when you say I am anti-Zionism, I am against Zionism, is I am against the Jewish people's right to self-determination in their homeland. So yes, that is inherently anti-Semitic because you cannot be against the right of the Jewish people to self-determination, but be okay with literally any other group of people having self-determination. If anyone has self-determination, then the Jews should also have the right to self-determination. It's logical. So there isn't really a way to be an anti-Zionist. That doesn't mean everyone should be a Zionist, but to be anti-Zionist, no, this is anti-Semitic. Thank you for taking and that. And by the way, a lot of people confuse anti-Zionism with criticism of Israel, um, which is not the case. You may be very critical of the Israeli government or specific policies or the IDF or whatever. Take your pick. That doesn't make you an anti-Zionist. Being an anti-Zionist is being against the rights of Jews. That's what it means. And if you have a different definition or whatever, fine. But at its core, that's what it means. So when you call yourself an anti-Zionist, that's what you're saying. Excellent. Um, Dana Goldstein would like to know, how do we respond online to denials of October of the October 7th massacre and to the claim that the aggressive response of the IDF is because of Israel has a, because Israel is planning to reconquer Gaza? Um, when it comes to denial, I mean, there's really there's really no other tool than calling them out as a massacre denier. Um, as of now, that's the best uh, the best response that we can really give them. And also elevating that uh, exposure. You know, some of these people who have been tearing down flyers, for example, in person, um, it's not enough that someone confronts them. They also need to be exposed. They need to be exposed publicly for what they're actually doing. And so I think that the same implication uh, can can be relevant depending on the situation, of course, on social media. You have someone who is very blatantly denying 
what happened or denying the the fundamentals of what happened on October 7th, then not only should that be responded to, but that person fully deserves uh, to be criticized and to be openly called out for that, assuming that they posted publicly. <laughs> if it's someone you know, well, then it's time to pick up the phone and have a conversation. Um, but but yes, that information shouldn't go unanswered on social media. And that doesn't mean you need to provide them with a list list of 45 links and send a, a whole file of, of gory photos and videos. I don't agree with that. You should not have to do that unless it's someone who maybe needs it from a media perspective or something like that. Um, but but people who are flat out denying the atrocities that are occurring to to that occurred to Jews is disgusting and it should be called out exactly as that disgusting because that's not something that I would do or most people I'm around that I've even heard and seen online would not do that for any other group of people so if you wouldn't do it for any other group of people actually the same thing as the anti-zionist comment if you wouldn't do that to any other group of people but you're doing it to Jews and Israelis then you have a problem with Jews and Israelis you're the problem not what what happened, not, you know, it's not fake or a conspiracy, what happened on, on October 7th. Um, em claim... Emily, in some Arab countries, I'm told that still up to 50% believe that the World Trade Center was a Mossad operation, was Israel. Yeah, so yeah. you're going to have pockets of populations who are just going to deny what, I mean, proven facts, uh, you know, and the world's flat. So um, is that a question of just choosing who to engage, who it's worth engaging with? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's kind of the same thing as any other disinformation or misinformation. You have to weigh the costs and benefits of engaging with this person or host. Um, and, uh, and, and is it really worthwhile to be sharing, whether it's through screenshot or retweeting or any of the things that we talked about Um this this uh, misinformation but um but yeah there there will always be people who no matter how much you show them no matter how many pictures of dead babies you send them they are still going to say they're fake um and that's what we saw with al jazeera for example who did an entire segment uh, accusing israel of using ai to create a fake photo of dead babies which is I don't even have words <laughs> to describe how awful uh, this is. And, and by the way, this is, of course, not something that they said in English because it's Al Jazeera. But in Arabic, all the Jew hatred in the world is fine. So there will be people who refuse to believe what's right in front of them no matter what. But a lot of people, most people, are not in that category, especially in the Western world. Um, so, you know, as English speakers, I think in in that most of our circles uh, in, in English speaking circles are like convincible they're, they're people who are willing to have conversations more so than you might find uh, in some other cultures. Um, as for the claim that the IDF's response uh, is to reconquer Gaza, um, I actually haven't gotten that much of this personally. Uh, I know that there are people who who are saying this. Um, I think the reality in this situation is that probably they are right <laughs> in some capacity. Um, does that mean that Israel did this in order to take land? No, of course not. This is a responsive operation. 
that is targeting exclusively Hamas terrorists. It is not about land. And a great response to this is that we left. <laughs> we left there. We tore up all of the settlements that we had. We tore people out of their homes. We don't want that territory. We don't care. What we want is security. We don't want to have our residents being fired on by Hamas or, or Islamic Jihad or any other terrorist organization in the Gaza Strip. And so Israel is within their legal right to ensure that that is not something that's happening. And if that means that they at least temporarily need to control parts, it looks like right now, of northern Gaza, then so be it. But the purpose here is not to expel Palestinians or to take any of their land. And history proves that right, because we left. And we would never have been back there were it not for the terrorist organization that invaded our borders, not disputed territory, that invaded our borders and butchered people and kidnapped innocent civilians. It's not, I know it's not the answer that will satisfy everybody, but I also think it's important that we, we're as truthful as we can be. Excellent. Thank you. Um, I am going to, I think the way that we should we had we had some people sharing some some thoughts here, but I think ultimately what a few people are looking for is um, well, I'm going to ask one last question and then I'm going to kind of combine some other people's questions that I see. There were a few people um, asking something similar. Uh, last question that I have. I'm a journalist and I am online and seeing outright misinformation. And sometimes I feel that it's important, like you said at the beginning of the talk, to dispel the information or at least to put a comment there so that if there is any Jew or or supporter of Israel looking at the feed that they shouldn't feel completely swallowed and and discouraged. And I recognize that when you see even that one comment, uh, it can be really uplifting. So how do you respond when somebody like me this week is in the middle of getting completely ambushed by hundreds of people who are maybe followers of somebody who they care about and you post it on their on their post, even if it was something very innocuous or fact based. How do you respond when you're getting a barrage of hate online? So there's two ways. Neither of them are going to be easy for everyone. Um, but the first thing is, uh, you, you have the option of mocking them, which is something that I have done in certain instances, because in some cases they prove you right. So when you're speaking about how, uh, there's a problem of anti-Semitism within the free Palestine movement, and someone sends you a vile anti-Semitic, sometimes threatening comment that's pro-violence and pro-terror <laughs> it's a perfect example of what you're saying. So in some cases, it can actually work to your benefit. Um, things you can share on a screenshot and share to story or whatever. I've, I've definitely done that. Um, and then in a way, you're kind of making fun of them. But at the same time, other people who follow you that maybe don't know or don't agree with what you're saying uh, are exposed to honestly, I mean, what what the true face of, of that movement is, which I think is kind of what we're seeing on the ground now in some of these places where there have been self-declared pro-Palestinian rallies um, that, that are not, in fact, pro-Palestinian. I mean, we've seen violence, we've seen a lot of extremism, we've seen blatant anti-Semitic comments. And the reaction from, I mean, even as an example, people who I went to high school with who aren't Jewish and don't know anything about Israel, 
a few of them have seen what's going on and messaged me and been like, what's wrong with these people? Like, that's the reaction of most normal people who are not involved with this conflict because they're acting crazy. Like to go around screaming in the streets about Intifada and and screaming about how they want to kill Jews. Like this isn't, this isn't, at least in the Western world, this is not like a normal behavior. And it's kind of being exposed as that, you know, these extreme elements in the, you know, the so-called pro-Palestinian movement. So let them, let them show who they really are and, and what their true colors are. Because at the end of the day, it actually works to our benefit. Now, at the same time, I recognize that's not easy to do because, you know, you open your DMs and you have 400 requests from people who are saying F you and, you know, death to Israel, etc. Uh, it's not easy. It probably will feel bad and usually not one any one individual comment. But when you get a lot of them, it can be very overwhelming. You need to accept that. Um, acknowledge that it's okay to feel that way and that it's normal, even if it's like random strangers on the internet, because it, it can be exhausting. So take care of yourself first and know that that's a normal feeling to have in this situation. Um, but at the same time, then this is my second uh, suggested response. Let it go. Ignore it. Ignore it as much as you can, because it doesn't actually affect you. And if it's not a direct threat that you perhaps need to go to the police about, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You just got to keep focusing on the mission, focusing on, you know, sharing the truth whenever and wherever you can and being the best um, advocate and, and activist for truth that you can be. Um, I also want to add that on the technical side, if you're being spammed with comments within all the platforms, all of them, there are keywords that you can auto ban meaning that those comments will never show up on your page. If you go in manually, you can then see them. But you can ban, for example, the Palestinian flag. You can ban the word, you know, the, the F word, or you can ban for free Palestine as a phrase together. You can add these phrases to like the limited list, and then no one is ever going to see it on your account, uh, except maybe you and then only if you want to. So that's one tactic for getting around spamming accounts. I know that's one thing that they love to do. <laughs> it's a little bit harder on Twitter because people can see when you hid a comment. So bear that in mind if you do decide to hide a response. Uh, but definitely on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram, you can do that. There's also, of course, the option of disabling comments. Um, but for purposes of engagement within the algorithm and getting content to have maximum reach, I don't actually recommend uh, turning off comments. You can also on TikTok do a manual approve, which is what I have actually right now because I was getting spammed by a bunch of people. <laughs> um, but then you just go into all of the comments and uh, manually approve or disapprove whichever ones that you like. A bit more tedious, but if you don't want to see that type of nasty speech in your comment section, that's the way to go. Amazing. I'm loving all of the practical stuff because Emily, for you, it's your life and you're doing it every day. So some of these tips about how to ban certain words or whether when when you should mock or when you should highlight or when you should stay silent. I think it's become unfortunately your every day, but for many of us, it might be new. So I'm just really glad that you shared that. Uh, before we before we let you back into your world of busy work and journalism and activism, are there any um, 
Are there any places of information that you would like to highlight? Because I think that there was a theme throughout some of the questions, which was where can we get um, where can we get reputable information? And I know that we have a community member who's with us who's also working on on that front. But send us off with your recommendations for where to where to get factual information. I mean, there are a lot of individual activists, so of course you should follow me. Uh, <laughs> yes. But in addition to that, uh, I think actually the English-speaking Israeli media has been pretty good. Um, all of them, uh, Times of Israel and uh, Jerusalem Post, uh, Ynet as well, they've been doing pretty well at getting the real-time information about what's happening out on social media. Um, and and this, I, I am going to caution this by saying uh, it, it, this won't necessarily convince people, but nonetheless, it's an important source that you should be following regularly for information and also videos and updates, the IDF. They're very fast. They're very professional. Um, they've gotten very good at getting out information about what's happening on the ground and about providing evidence for it as well. For example, the uh, IDF delivered 300 liters of fuel to Al-Shifa Hospital last night. They took it to a specific location and that fuel was picked up by Hamas instead of the Gaza health officials uh, in order to keep the hospital going with the energy that they claimed they needed. Um, now the IDF was smart <laughs> because they filmed themselves okay. delivering that fuel. Mm -hmm. They recorded the conversation. Jafit, you have your your microphone on. Please turn it off. So that. So they also recorded the phone calls of coordination with the officials who were supposed to receive the fuel, um, and then they released all this after after the fact. So the, this is all really important information that people need to hear, people need to see, whether or not they believe it's the IDF. You, you, there comes a point where you have to be incredibly conspiratorial to reject everything that the IDF is claiming with all the videos and sources that they have, some of which aren't even from us. They're, they're videos or content that's found in Palestinian social media or phone calls with Palestinians. So that, that content is sometimes independently verifiable. Um, and but there will be people there will be people who say oh well of course they're going to say blah 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 um, that being said a lot of the information they're putting out is super important and presents a much more accurate picture of what's happening on the ground than say a terrorist organization who's controlling the Gaza Strip and you're starting to see I don't know if any of you are following Arabic social media or if you speak Arabic but you're starting to see a little bit of a change in the Arabic social, not media, but social media. Um, that's because you're seeing Palestinians incredibly frustrated with Hamas. I mean, if I were a Palestinian, I would be pissed at Hamas because of the situation that they've put those poor people in is, is unbelievable. And yes, we know that there are a significant portion of the population who support Hamas and, and the disgusting activities of Hamas. But there are also people who don't. And there are people who aren't involved, and they are the ones who are still paying the price for the terrorist actions of Hamas. Um, so we're starting to see some frustration from, from Palestinians against Hamas uh, in this situation. Um, yes, I, I saw someone comment that Palestinians voted for Hamas. That's true. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So I just, we, we didn't get to 
we didn't get to share enough about Emily at the top of the hour. Emily Schrader is the CEO and co-founder of Social Light Creative. It's her own company that she started years ago and has blossomed and grown and is helping brands put out content all over the world. She is a journalist at Ynet News, a senior correspondent, and she anchors the news for ILTV, an international TV program. She's also a human rights activist, not only for Israel, but impressively for the Iranian people, which is understated currently. Emily has spent over a decade tracking the trends in anti-Semitism on social media, as well as online, and works night and day to fight anti-Semitism and hate speech online. Emily, thank you so much for your talk. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. And I'm sorry I didn't get to all of your questions, but you can message on Instagram, Emily in Tel Aviv, and I'll do my best. <laughs>